as you progress in the spiritual life, those who are really advanced in the spiritual life will experience what's called a dark night of the soul. It's an extreme spiritual pain, but it's brought about because of somebody's intense union with God. So for example, St. John of the Cross and Mother Teresa are known to have experienced these dark nights of the soul. Um, this is different from what's called desolation, like, you know, this kind of dryness and the battle of prayer and that sort of thing, because desolation is not a good thing. But the dark night of the soul is uh, something that we should seek out because uh, the dark night of the soul is a, a, is a sign of our union with Christ on the cross. Welcome to another Project Whetstone podcast brought to you by Blaze Ministries 707, where our goal is to help shape and sharpen your faith by sharing our experience of growing up in the 707 and beyond. I'm Bro Rye, and as always, with me I got Brother Jeremy Mallet and Brother CeeLo Terrell. What's going on, brothers? Hello, hello. What's up, Whetstone folks? Whetstone folks. And for those of y'all who don't know what a whetstone is, if you haven't already looked it up, again, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another, a.k.a. the whetstone is what sharpens the knife, y'all. So bring your swords, bring your knives. Bring, bring your swords, bring your knives, <laughs> bring your butter knife, bring whatever you got. We're going to sharpen that bad boy. Bring a spoon. <laughs> That's all you got. <laughs> so uh yeah y'all check it out happy i don't know i'm sorry not happy blessed palm sunday wow y'all i can't even believe it was fast yeah the time flew and again i would always say time flies when you evangelize but you know brother jay you were talking about it earlier in our notes you were like man i can't believe we're already in palm sunday and i was like oh snap we already are so Mm-hmm. So yeah, brothers, we are here about to enter into the holiest of weeks. <laughs> and um yeah, I just want to again thank you all for for rocking with us whoever is listening to the podcast, whether you've been with us from the jump or you just started. Maybe this is your first time. We appreciate you just taking the time. Be sure to use the timestamps because we do like to dive deep. As Brother Jeremy would say, it's like scuba diving. You can only see what's on the surface from the outside. So you got to put on your gear and get into it. And that's what we like to do here on this podcast, uh, sharing all different kinds of perspectives. So, um, yeah, y'all, what's going on, y'all? So how y'all been? How's how's everything going? Let's just check in real quick. Bro, CeeLo, bro, Jer. Good, bro. Um, special shout out to all the young people, because I remember clearly how Lent seemed like it was forever when you're young. And only now that we're older, it's like, oh, man, it was quick. But yeah, it just that's just part of it. Things speed up when you get older. But yeah, everything is good, man. Family's good. Um, everyone's doing their thing. Everyone's doing their pandemic thing. And uh, we're all just we're all just moving. Just keep swimming. Right. Just keep swimming. Mm-hmm. As one of my uh, uh, friends and former coworkers would say, um, all forward motion counts, right? So, <laughs> so just we keep moving along, and before you know it, it'll be Easter. Game so. of inches, game of inches <laughs> for real, y'all. Small steps lead to great distances, and um, and yeah. So as we're as we're just going into this, what I like to call this, you know, again being holy right being set apart i always look at it like 
Holy Week, and I always call it the big three, and we're going to get into that um, later on in the podcast, but it's just, yeah, it's crazy, like Brother Sheila, how you were saying, when we were younger, we are like, oh man, this is forever, 40 days feels like 40 years, but now as we get older, it's like, what? <laughs> um, I think one of the sayings I heard way back in the days was, the days go by fast, but the years go by quick. No, 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 I'm sorry. The days go by slow, but the years go by quick. Yeah. Right? That's, so, you know, um, especially when you have kids, man. You mm-hmm. just you just had them yesterday, and now they're talking back to you and, you know, <laughs> thinking for themselves. And you're like, where did the time go, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, all right, y'all. So we're in, uh, again, we are, this is Palm Sunday. 2021 i remember last year palm sunday in california we were like even debating are we even going to be able to distribute palms and i remember it was a rainy day and i was at our lady of mount carmel and they only had a handful of people helping out and i was uh, asked to help pass out palms through a drive-thru so i remember my family driving through my parents a lot of the faith fam and um it was emotional for me because palm sunday is usually a time as you all know and i say you all bro Silo and bro jerry especially in tradition we had the passion play from saint basil's and we even brought it to our lady of mount carmel and you know last year it was just like wow we're just kind of doing a drive-by of picking up palms so it's crazy to think you know all of you know, this year has passed by. So yeah, y'all just, I don't know, just, just saying Palm Sunday actually brought up a lot for me in that moment, but, but yeah. So how was, um, how was, how was your evaluation or how has been your, you know, your Lent as we've been talking about every week is do a little check-in real quick around that. I know bro, Sila, I love just kind of the, the honesty and the, the realness of where you're at and bro Jay, little update, just, you know, if there's anything, as we're approaching, are y'all just waiting for the day or is it getting easier? Is it getting harder? Let us know. When when I'm looking at the readings and, and studying the readings, it seems like Lent just flew by. But when I'm when I'm considering what I've sacrificed and, you know, like the fasting and all that kind of stuff, that's when Lent feels like it's long. <laughs> so so um, it depends on what I'm what I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's interesting. It's an interesting Lent for me because um Although I'm not able to to do much in terms of, you know, how I used to be able to do it when I was um, a little more independent, you know, not really. In, well, I guess a better word is just when when I didn't have kids, you know, <laughs> when when I didn't have uh, that responsibility. Um, but what's interesting about it is that, you know, and I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit doing it, but man, I just been having some really fruitful and in-depth conversations with my oldest son about the faith, you know, and uh, he is in the process of doing his uh, first communion. And so we're, we're doing that, but it's just some of the stuff he asks me um, just takes us on some really deep, you know, theologically based questions and responses. And, um, and I'm enjoying that part, you know, to really be able to teach him the faith I guess has been kind of my, my Lenten journey uh, this year, you know, to really help them understand um, what it is that we do in our faith, not just, you know, the Catholic aerobics part of it, but the straight up 
like, here's the history. This is why we do what we do. And, um, you know, here's the battle that, you know, a lot of, you know, your friends and family go through and you will go through as you get older. And, uh, so I think that's been a, a blessing to be able to talk to him about that kind of stuff and have him be open-minded and be willing to listen to it. You know, I, I didn't expect to be sharing what I'm sharing with my son at this age. And I also didn't expect that he'd be the one coming to ask me, you know, I always pictured that he was going to be a teenager that, you know, was kind of getting forced to go to church because, you know, cause I didn't want to, you know, like force him from the beginning, but he's coming to me. So I'm like, okay, you know, so that's, that's kind of been, uh, the nice little surprise that God had in store for me this Lenten season. No, absolutely. So shout out to Azarius Terrell. When you hear this years from now, just know your curiosity and the questions that you had about the faith that you shared with your dad definitely had an impact on this Lenten series of our podcast. First of hopefully many, God willing, so again, just documenting the memories and the times, and I love all the different stories that we've all been sharing in real time, and which is something I love about this podcast and I love about having this podcast is that we actually get to really document what's going on in our lives. And I know we do a little check-in prior that's not recorded, but even just in our own memory, we're, we're in this journey together. So I just want to, yeah, definitely acknowledge that y'all so all right y'all so we're gonna go ahead and take it to today's reading and before we go ahead and get into the first readings uh jay if you can just break down as you do really well if you can just share with us the theme of today's readings so today's palm sunday and so the church is preparing uh this is the last sunday before easter we start the easter season next sunday and so Palm Sunday being the last Sunday before that, we're preparing. And what are we preparing for? We are preparing for the most solemn celebration in the entire church calendar, that of the Paschal Mystery. There are some central Christian mysteries that every Christian should spend time reflecting on deeply. One is the Trinity. The other is the incarnation and birth of Christ, which is interesting because we just celebrated the Annunciation, which is the conception of Jesus which is the moment of incarnation, March 25th. And then we celebrate very solemnly Christmas, his birth. So March 25th, nine months later, December 25th. Those are important mysteries that we reflect on as Christians. This Paschal mystery, the Paschal mystery, is the most essential Christian mystery, essential Christian doctrine, that if you do not believe the, the Paschal mystery, you're not really Christian. Being that it's so solemn and so important, let's talk about what the Paschal mystery is. The, the, the word Paschal comes from pesk, which means Passover. And so the Paschal mystery uh, in the Christian sense is a, is a Passover mystery where the lamb that was used for sacrifice in the time of Moses has now been, in a sense, replaced by the lamb of God. And so Jesus is the new Lamb of God, and we say that at every Mass. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Happy are we who are called to this banquet. Jesus, being the new sacrificial Lamb, uh, saves us from our sins. And so the Paschal mystery is by his passion, death, 
resurrection and ascension, those, those four events in his life, he saves humanity from sin and opens the path to heaven. And so that is one of the central Christian mysteries is the Paschal mystery. And that's what we're getting ready to celebrate. So Palm Sunday, as this sort of preparation, but a, still a celebration in its own right, has some unique features in comparison to other Sunday Masses throughout the year. And so before the actual readings at Mass, there is what is called a processional gospel. The people of the congregation are given a palm branch in remembrance of the time being read in the gospel before this extraordinary procession. So Jesus enters Jerusalem and he's welcomed by the people as a conquering hero, a king and savior. And they see Jesus as the one who is coming to fulfill all of the covenant promises and prophecies. And in true prophetic fashion, he comes riding in on a colt. The priest celebrant, who is always a sacrament of Christ at Mass, represents Christ in this story, which is why the main celebrant is always last in the procession on Palm Sunday, just as at every other Mass. Just here, the procession is much more pronounced. The processional gospel is about Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. And this entry into Jerusalem begins our celebration of Holy Week, and which began for Jesus, his week in Jerusalem. He would only spend one week in Jerusalem. He'd be welcome as a king. And then he would be crucified on Friday of that week. Can I ask a question, Jay? So why extra reading before the Mass starts? Well, one of the things that we do every Sunday with every entrance uh, into the Mass, which is why we do this procession, is, is a kind of a remembrance of this, of this particular moment in the life of Christ when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a, on a colt, uh, welcomed as a conquering hero. He's welcomed as the King of Israel, the, the Messiah who's going to, to free Israel from all of her enemies. So Palm Sunday is in a sense a, the, the church's celebration of that procession, both the, the celebration of, of the priest who represents Jesus um, for us at, at Mass, but also of this particular moment in time that Jesus rides in as the Messiah and sets forth in motion all the the events that will really change the course of history and change the course of um, human destiny. There's definitely a lot here in this processional gospel, and we could spend the whole podcast talking, talking about this, but we'll just spend a few moments on some really important points. So firstly, Jesus's procession into Jerusalem brings together many of the themes that we'd already reflected on in the last few podcasts. Jesus is doing something new as represented by the young cult that no one had sat upon. His kingdom, his kingship is new, but also fulfilling the promises that had been made between God and his people. So he is indeed the one who is coming to grant freedom to his people, but not strictly in the way that the people think. So the people think, you know, this is going to be a political, mainly political change a political revolution in a sense that where israel will be politically free from underneath the rule of the romans and things like that so he isn't indeed coming to bring freedom it's again not in the way that the people imagine it's going to be beyond their imaginations 
Um, so the plan of God for Jesus was far more than we could imagine. Whereas the people were probably thinking it would be more of this, more of the same, just better. Uh, and we'll talk more about this as we get to the, to the gospel at mass. But what is important here, it is a spiritual freedom. Though they welcome Christ as a political figure and ruler, the praise that they're giving him is also rightly deserving of who Jesus is as the King of Kings. So just another uh, thing that we should notice is what the crowd is saying as he's writing in and what they're doing. They're hailing him as the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Son of David. The entry into Jerusalem is attested to in all four Gospels. All four Gospels have uh, Jesus processing in. They, they include and omit different details depending on which gospel is read. All of them have this Hosanna, and this should sound very familiar to what we hear at Mass. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We say that at every Mass. And what's important to note is that we say it right before the consecration, right before we welcome Christ in our midst in the Eucharist. These are very important words that we echo every Mass because it's a remembrance of this time when Christ is coming into Jerusalem, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy that that God would return to Jerusalem, not only Jerusalem, but to the temple. Very important moment in the Gospels uh, and for us as as Christians and Catholics. No, I love that. I love that. And uh, and again, I like how you just gave us the the image of what they're saying here, welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, which is exactly what we do at the Mass before we welcome Jesus into our bodies through the Eucharist. So, no, so definitely um, a great visual there, kind of a connection. And that's that's all I was curious about. Was like, what's the connection of this gospel before we even get into the readings for for the Mass on Palm Sunday. So that definitely makes sense. Uh, Brosilo, any, anything you want to add on that? Uh, just, I mean, the and this is the, the part about it in the, you know, processional gospel that always catches my attention um, is a part where he has someone go and, you know, grab a donkey, you know what I'm saying? And I've always wondered the backstory behind that. And, um, you know, something like back in those days, any kind of livestock must have been an expensive, you know, piece of capital for anyone, you know, just like how in the old West you stole someone's horse, you know, that was it. That was like grand theft auto. You, you're going to get hung for that. Um, and you know, Jesus just straight up says, Hey, you know, go get that donkey. And when they ask you what you're doing with it, just say the master has need of it. Um, and the reason why that stands out to me is I'm just thinking like someone was told at some point, hey, there's going to be this moment. There's this really important moment. And you know when that moment is because someone's just going to say the master has need of it, you know. And so that one person back then was told you know, from who knows where, you know, maybe an angel came to him in the middle of the night and said, Hey, you're going to, you're going to have your donkey taken. So if someone says the master has need of it, just going to, you know, just, just let it go. Just let it be. And 
Um, you know, they didn't steal the donkey. We know that for a fact, you know, it was given freely. And so what, what always calls out to me about that is just kind of how, you know, each and every one of us has a special role to play in salvation history. You know, that one person, Hey, someone's going to take your donkey this one day and you know, this is going to be the day, you know, it's like, who told them that, who made him think that it was going to be cool that someone's going to take my donkey that he probably uses for, you know, or would have used for anything else. Um, you know, one of the little side notes that I, I, I got from, uh, from my study Bible was just how, you know, the reason why it was a cult, um, was from, uh, you know, old Testament, you know, reading from Zechariah, you know, chapter nine, um, where it's saying, you know, humble and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey, you know, and it's just, again, another example of how this has all been set up, you know, for the longest time, you know, someone in the past already knew this was happening. And, um, you know, he didn't come in riding a chariot, you know, saying that he was going to conquer, he came in humble. Um, and, and that part just really stands out to me, like, you know, everyone's part of the mission of salvation history. Um, and here comes the greatest human being ever to be created and he's coming in on a donkey you know what what better example of of humility to follow um you know than christ's example um and and, you know those are just some of the parts that really you know have always stuck with me every time i've gone to palm sunday mass hearing that part like man who told that dude that they were going to take his donkey you know (laughs) like but you know just again goes back to each and every one of us have a part to play you know, even if it's as simple as letting someone have your donkey. Yeah, I love that because we see so many times when people make these grand entrances on elephants and just all different kinds of things. I think about Aladdin when you were talking about that, the movie Aladdin and just even the new version with Will Smith, <laughs> right? Like just these huge entrances and, you know, usually these kings or these sultans or whatever right like lightweight or even hardcore shady and then you got jesus on the cult so yeah no definitely i love that uh, perspective bro so uh, yeah our first reading comes from the book of isaiah chapter 50 verses 4 through 7 so the the book of isaiah is one of the most frequently quoted books of the new testament so it's a it's an old testament book but the new testament quotes it very often because of the times that it indexes christ and it kind of points to and and prophecies about the coming of this figure to fulfill various promises of god and in this case we're reading about a suffering servant now, uh, Isaiah has several of these suffering servant songs, what they're, is what they're called. This unspecified person of God, a person of faith who will suffer on behalf of others, uh, will suffer in order to save and redeem Israel. And this servant of God would not deserve such punishment. And in God's eyes, uh, this servant is on the right side of history. This particular servant song could also be be about the prophets who were mistreated. He says that God has given him a well-trained tongue, 
that I might know how to speak to the weary, uh, a word that will rouse them. And so this was kind of the life of the prophets who were always mistreated by God's own people. This particular song servant could be about one of these prophets. We also read this as Christians today, we read this as being placed on the lips of Jesus. And if we look at it, you know, there's some details in here that should definitely remind us and kind of ring with the crucifixion. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard, my face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. When when they're interrogating Jesus before bringing him before Pilate, that was seen as a fulfillment of this particular moment in Isaiah. The passion narratives include that the Pharisees hit Jesus and spit on him and taunted him and all this, all these other sorts of things. That, and of course, that wasn't the end of it. It's interesting to see this, and Isaiah is written hundreds of years before Christ. For some reason, uh, Isaiah had the wherewithal to write about this suffering servant and that the servant, even though is suffering all of this, is aware that this suffering servant is not disgraced because of it that the suffering servant is suffering these things unjustly. And so there's this last bit in the, in the reading here. The Lord God is my help. Therefore, I am not disgraced. I have set my face like flint, knowing that I shall not be put to shame. Uh, that's another way of saying I'm, I have accepted this suffering. Uh, there, there's a, almost a kind of serenity to it, like a stoic disposition that the suffering servant is, is taking on. It expresses a kind of, of serenity amidst all the, all of this, that even though they're being persecuted, they know that God is with them. Very powerful first reading. I think it's it's amazing how much of a a model, you know, if if not a kind of a heads up, um, this this reading from Isaiah is uh, for any Christian. Um, you know, I think. The, you know, again, Jeremy mentioned that this happened hundreds of years before, you know, Jesus, you know, was incarnate and, and was walking on earth. Um, and yet, you know, it's almost like Isaiah's telling us that, you know, in general, I mean, we know, we know now that he's talking specifically about Jesus and, you know, this is this is part of the reason why Jesus is Jesus because he's fulfilling all the prophecies of, of, uh, you know, the person who's supposed to come back and, and make that change. Um, but I think it's also interesting that it's titled as a suffering servant, you know, almost as if, Hey, here's your blueprint. Like this is what it's going to be. Um, you know, when Jesus talks about taking up your cross and following him and, you know, losing your own life, this is what it is, you know, and almost beautifully poetic telling you, like, all the stuff you're going to go through, you know, um, but at the very end of it, just letting you know that, hey, once you've accepted it and once you realize you can take that suffering and offer it up, you know, as as a sacrifice, um, that you'll be in serenity with it. And I think that's something that any Christian who's experienced life and experienced it through Christianity can tell you, yeah, there's a certain level of of serenity 
that you experience once you surrender to that suffering and offer that suffering up as a part of, of, of your mission. You know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you, you both have experienced it and I'm sure there's some listeners that have experienced the very thing where it's like, Hey, once you let it go. And if, and if you're in the midst of the suffering right now, um, and not feeling this way, this is your chance to make that decision to just accept it and offer it up. You know, and and that sounds, again, almost sounds, um, you know, like you're losing. And sometimes that's hard to accept, especially, you know, in society that's very competitive about winning and winning at all costs. But, you know, you know, one, one, one thing that I'll pull from pop culture, there's this, uh, you know, I'm really into sci-fi and there was this, this show I used to love. It was called, uh, Stargate, (laughs) Um, and, and they turned it into, it was a movie turned into a series, but one thing that always stood out to me, you know, whenever I thought about Jesus as, as a God, cause you know, oftentimes you'll have, you know, intellectuals telling you that, oh, you know, um, it's just another religious figure. There's been religions all throughout humanity you know, religion is a human's way of, of trying to make sense of, of all that's going on around them. But one thing that was mentioned in this TV show, when it came into a civilization that was Christian, was that they said out of all the deities in humanity, you know, you go to Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Egyptian, you go through all of it. Out of all the deities that existed in all those mythologies, not one has ever given up their life and suffered, you know, like Jesus. You know, there's no, you know, you think about any Egyptian god, they were all great. They all had power. They all could squash you if they wanted. Same thing with the Greek gods. Same thing with the Titans. They could all destroy you. But Jesus was the only god that suffered at the hands of humans and allowed it to happen. Um, And that's what makes Jesus different, you know? And I think just this, this reading kind of re-illustrates that there's something special about that. You know, there's something special about, you know, the most powerful being in the universe, you know, purposely limiting his power and ability that he has, and to make all of that fit into a human being. And then furthermore, you know, to take a beating um, and then be able to save us all in that, in that method, in that way. Um, it's, it's just mind blowing. I mean, that's, I, to me, that's, that's the, the mind blowing part of the mystery, like how you could do that as a God to allow that to happen. But there's something going behind, there's something going on beyond the scenes that behind the scenes that we don't understand there's some, you know, debt collection system in the universe that we don't understand that obviously Jesus does. And, you know, that's how he paid for everything. And going back to the reading, you know, to every Christian out there, here it is. Read Isaiah. Here's your blueprint as to what you might endure, you know, following Christ and taking up that cross. But in the end, in the end, you will find serenity in that suffering when you've aligned yourself with Christ.
you know, I'm reading this and I'm like, man, the Lord God has given me a well-trained tongue. And so just when I read that first part, I'm like, the Lord inspires and gives me the right words to say. And again, it reads on that I may, that I might know how to speak to the weary, a word that will rouse them. And then he goes on to say, morning after morning, he opens my ear that I may hear and that I have not rebelled. And so when I'm reading this, I'm just, you know, I'm imagining how sometimes or a lot of times when we say the things of God, when we speak up for the things of God, that we suffer, that we are ridiculed, that we're tested, that we're persecuted. And yet, despite all of this, the very end says, the Lord God is my help, therefore I am not disgraced. And I think this is a message for many of us right now in our own faith journey where it's like you already know what God has for you or you have a good idea of it. You already know in your daily life at work, at school, with your children, you already know what a well-trained tongue sounds like. You already know what the proper things to say are day in and day out or morning after morning. And for a moment, we have been faithful. And for, you know, a while, we've never turned our back. And I just think about how when, and again, I'm thinking in the opposite of how we lose sight of that. And we lose focus. And, you know, we've suffered. And I think about how so many friends and family members, people I know who have, you know, who are in alignment with this and they still, instead of continuing on the path, they just went a different direction. So if you are listening to this podcast and you are someone who can relate to that, or maybe you know, or maybe this was you, or maybe someone you know that has felt like you've been super faithful and you've been taking a beating and you're still in the game or not. Like, I think this is a a great way to like a great reading to really just meditate on and pray on because as we're in this time and I, I love the last, for me, the last part is, you know, the Lord is my help. Therefore, I am not disgraced. I've set my face like Flint, knowing that I shall not be put to shame. Easier said than done is kind of my natural reaction to that and i think that's where the challenge is that's where the test is so so yeah a lot there in that first reading prophet isaiah definitely always worth a read the prophet isaiah so we're going to go into the responsorial now and this is the responsorial psalm 22 8 9 17 18 19 20 and then it skips to 23 to 24. Right. And so the the response for, for us today is a really poignant one. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know, af- after the fact, it's less difficult for us today to look back at the suffering 
of others or even our own suffering and say, you know, God was doing this in my life, which was why he allowed X, Y, and Z to happen. However, in the midst of the suffering, it's really difficult to see the providence at work. So suffering truly is an evil, being that it is a consequence of sin. Uh, Now, when I say consequence, we should not be so quick to hear the word punishment. I just wanted to insert that idea in there before we go on to talk about the responsorial psalm. In the, in the moments of experiencing God's providence, it can very much seem that God is not present. So Psalm 22 is one of the most poignant psalms of the entire collection of, of psalms. And this verse in particular, which is our response, is placed upon the lips of Jesus by Mark's gospel at the crucifixion. It is his last words. And very fittingly, so we can imagine that the, the vicious scapegoating tendency in humanity is timeless. The psalm is one of David's psalms, and he went through a period of exile where the people of his own kingdom uh, and even his own family was out to get him. And it was certainly a period of deep trouble and a seemingly hopeless situation. Now, the verses we see here are quite physically descriptive about the persecution that the the psalmist is uh, expressing. It it suggests that the psalmist has actually lived through and seen his persecutors wag their heads and that he can count all his bones. There's a theological statement being made when Mark places this psalm on Jesus's lips. David also was hailed as a king after God's own heart. And although David sinned, his humility and willingness to repent was what God found favorable. So in this way, David was a model man of faith and king of Israel. And so at the precise moment that the psalm describes, it would not seem that way. Uh, Thus a real human question arises, God, why have you abandoned me? One of the fundamental spiritual principles we learn early in the spiritual life is that evil is wherever God is not. We spoke of this before when we talked about Nicodemus and defining evil where evil has no positive being, but is a privation or a lack, where where goodness is absent, like a hole in a barrel or a crack in a glass, right? Evil doesn't have actual being, but we're describing something where it is supposed to be in a particular way, but something is missing. Another fundam- fundamental principle of faith is knowing that God, being all good, never commits an evil, However, evil certainly happens. So where does evil come from? And this is sort of the nutshell version of the problem of evil. I just want to bring up two saints who speak to this idea of, you know, why why is there evil and why can it seem like God is abandoning, abandoning in these moments where evil is allowed to happen? So St. Julian of Norwich uh, and St. Thomas Aquinas are the two saints I want to talk about. So St. Julian of Norwich said that there is nothing that happens that God either did not will to happen or did not allow to happen. And so the distinction was for the sake of explaining how there can be evil in the world. God will allow evil to happen, but he's not the agent behind it. And we, of course, know that it's the the devil that's, you know, he's the architect of all evil, the father of lies. So then 
comes the question, well, why would God allow evil, right? So St. Thomas explains why evil is allowed. He says, God permits an evil so that a greater good may follow. And this has been the pattern of our faith since the beginning. And we can talk about original sin as as what St. Thomas Aquinas calls a happy fault. That would be hard to say. How can original sin be be happy when it's the cause of sin, suffering, death, and all that ails humanity? He says that it was, it's called a happy fault because it allowed the greater good of meriting so great a redeemer in Christ, that because of this happy fault, we get Christ. And not only Christ, but Christ opens the way to a new way of being, that we get to enter into heaven. We no longer live in an earthly paradise. A space is prepared for us in the heavenly paradise, which is far greater than the earthly paradise of Eden. There's a lot to this idea of spiritual ab- abandonment that we can also uh, talk about. As you progress in the spiritual life, those who are really advanced in the spiritual life will experience what's called a dark night of the soul. It's an extreme spiritual pain, but it's brought about because of somebody's intense union with God. So, for example, St. John of the Cross and Mother Teresa are known to have experienced these dark nights of the soul. Um, this is different from what's called desolation, like, you know, this kind of dryness and the battle of prayer and that sort of thing, because desolation is not a good thing. But the dark night of the soul is uh, something that we should seek out because uh, the dark night of the soul is a, a is a sign of our union with Christ on the cross. Just to quickly use an analogy of what, uh, of how St. John described it. You know, it's, it's like a fire. When you're near a fire, you're warmed and you're enlightened by it. And as you draw closer and closer to the fire, you start to become more and more like the fire. As you draw closer and closer to God, you know, it's like drawing closer and closer to this fire. You start to become the fire. And that's what's happening in, in the dark night of the soul, that when you become so united to God that you lose all sense of God. And it's because you've, be, in a sense, become God incarnate. Not that you've become Jesus, you know, but you're so united to God that you're part of the fire, in a sense. And so if you're part of the fire, what you experience around you, you can't experience your own warmth and your own light. You are, are only able to share that with your environment. Your environment will naturally be colder and darker than you are because you're the fire. <laughs> and that's kind of a the dark night of the soul in a, in a nutshell. You've become so united to Christ that you, in a sense, become that walking Christ. You know, that's, and that was Mother Teresa. And she experienced that for over 50 years. I don't know. Just, just taking that in, I'm just like, wow. Like, you become so deep into your, you know, your prayer life, your spiritual life that you become it to an extent and then everything around you is dark and everything around you is cold. I don't know. That's, that's just a whole, that's, that's new, definitely some complex biz right there, but I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be that moment. Um, you know, this is, you know, how it was for this hour that Jesus came. Right. And 
coming to that point of completion and perfection, that's when he utters the experience of being abandoned by God because he can't sense God anymore, you know, because his humanity had become so divinized by being the sacrifice that it felt like he was being abandoned by God. But, but it was because he was embodying God at that moment. Yeah, that's that's a lifetime of uh, meditation right there. <laughs> Seriously, that that just what you just said, bro. Like he was divinized. <laughs> oh man, and that's isn't that kind of what we strive for? Yep. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we're that's our goal. We want to be the dark night of the soul. We want to experience being divinized. <laughs> But at the cost of feeling, I mean, Jesus felt abandoned. Be- oh, God, that's deep. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole, I don't even know. I'm like, I'm, I'm taken back right now. You know, there's, there's always been, like when I first heard of Dark Night of the Soul, and I know this is kind of my own perspective on it, and, um, you know, without any, you know, influence from any of the saints, but I always kind of the, the the perspective but kind of you know in the same way that um you know brother jeremy just explained it was I always thought of it as like you were so close to god that it was almost like he was preparing you um for the next step you know and, and the way i always saw it was like you know especially to new young christians i'd always tell them you know pray for something ask for something you know um, and I told them that you'd probably get a really quick response because you're kind of like a you're in in a sense an in, in infant um, in your relationship with Christ, you know. So like you pray for something, you'll you'll probably see a sign really quick, um, and it'll surprise you. Um, but just as a baby gets spoon fed, and as a you know a baby becomes a toddler, a toddler becomes a you know a kid, a kid becomes a teenager. Um, you go from being spoon fed to you know learning how to eat on your own to eventually you have to go out and find your own food you know and make your own living and and find a way to you know to reach out um one analogy that you know I that kind of helped me understand it was that you've gotten to this maturity in your faith that was so deep that you know very few of us ever experience um and probably only really the the saints you know that are deep into that that spiritual realm get to a point where god's like okay like you're not gonna feel me but it's because you know i'm not gonna spoon feed you anymore you know now i'm preparing you for the next step you know this depth of of a uh, spirituality where you know it's almost like it's teaching you to strip yourself of your humanity and to reach out and become a part of that divinity you know it's almost like uh you know you got to go for it now you know i'm going to take a step back i'm right here i'm right here i'm still here where i've always been um but spiritually it's like you're not going to feel me um because i want to prepare you for for heaven and to to be in existence in heaven you know like i've always heard that heaven's kind of this you know different way of talking different way of of being um and it's almost like you're just being stripped of of everything about you that 
you've attached yourself to as a human. And so all your senses are kind of just, you know, you're not feeling anything anymore. But in reality, it's like it's God giving you that chance to like, okay, take that last climb on your own to get to this level, to get to this point. Um, And it was just preparing you for the next step, you know, and I can imagine like as soon as those saints died and went to the next, you know, level, they must have been like, man, that's crazy. You know, (laughs) like must have been the greatest feeling ever, you know, to go from, you know, you know, reaching out to God and then finally getting to him when they died, you know, and and went to heaven. So, you know, that first part that you described um, was pretty much the same analogy that St. John of the Cross uses to um, describe how we start out in the spiritual life, that we are, you know, nurslings at the breast mm-hmm. who, you know, have to be fed, you know, this the, um, and nursed uh, in the beginning because, you know, if, you know, if our faith is not sweet in the beginning, you know, yeah. we're not going to take to it. But, you know, as we get older, then we need to, we need to be nourished on tougher foods, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that's it, so pr- that's precisely what um, St. John of the Cross Ooh. Um, was trying to trying that's to, good to know because I thought it was blaspheming, bro. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Bruh. And, and I'm just thinking, like, how many times where you know each of us individually or even as a small group had this way of doing things or way of thinking or a way of living our life that didn't make sense to everyone else around us to the point where it was like, we felt abandoned. We felt alone. Like there were times where, you know, even in my adult life where I'm standing for something that I truly believe in and I'm passionate about. And I'm like tunnel vision because I'm like, okay, this is what God is putting on my heart. But then everyone else around me is not sure they question it. They don't get it. They don't understand it. And, but in my heart, I'm like, I know this is where I need to be. And this is what I need to be doing right now. And I feel like for those of us who, you know, are really trying to dive in deeper spiritually in prayer and in practice and in our daily lives, the more and more it like the gap gets bigger and bigger between us and even the people we care about and love, even family, sometimes even our parents, right? Because it's like, then it's not that, and again, no, no diss to them or because yeah. they're not there, but it's just like, yeah. they just you're don't just, get it. yeah, you know, we're just on not a Not in a bad way. It's just, yeah. they, they don't, they don't understand because they can't feel what we're feeling and what we're, what's calling to us. They can't hear that voice that's calling in our, in our heart. And Dark um, night of the soul. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and just going back to the responsorial, you know, I think, you know, what the listeners need to hear is that to feel that despair is okay, you know, to feel that despair. No, I wouldn't the, use the word despair. I would use that kind of that desolation. But uh, despair uh, is the opposite of hope. And mm. there is still hope. But, you know, the um, but to feel just bad, you know, <laughs> I think that's the way to put it. Well, I yeah. mean, I'll, I'll even go as far as saying that there's there's some instances where um, you might think you've lost hope, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Oh, like, that's true. Yeah. There, cause, cause you know, we've, we've seen friends and family that have gone through it, you know, that have really gone through it. And, um, mm-hmm. 
you know, loss of a child, you know, loss of a family member, you know, just all these, all these things. But, you know, I think what, what we can all agree on is that um, even the midst of that deepest, darkest, you know, situation, that feeling that all of us as adults have gone through, you know, and, and all on differing levels, you know, in different situations, I think it's important to to point out that here's a situation where even Jesus, you know, a God is feeling this way, you know, and it's okay, you know, and it's part, it's still part of the journey. It's not the end of your journey. You know, don't stop here. Don't quit now. You know, just like we said at the beginning, it's, you know, you don't have to start sprinting, but don't stop moving. You know, you don't got to go 20 feet. You don't need to go 100 feet, you know, game of inches. Just keep moving forward. So if you're in that point where you're just feeling that that pain, that, you know, that desolation or even, you know, even the despair where you feel like there is no hope, that's part of the game, you know, and not to not to minimize it and say it's just the game, but it's, you know, more it's part of the process. It's part of becoming complete as a Christian. It's part of becoming perfect. You know, like we mentioned, you know, last week, um, this is, this is what it is. You know, Jesus, he, just like we mentioned before, again, you know, God's not going to ask us to do anything that he himself won't do. And here we are, you know, Jesus feeling like, he was abandoned because he got to that point. He got to that point in his mission where he was almost complete, where he's almost perfect, where he'd almost fulfilled what he was supposed to do. And he felt like he was abandoned. And I'm probably, you know, I'm confident in saying that all, if not most Christians in their spiritual life will feel this abandonment at some point in their life. And I want to reiterate that it, it's it's okay to feel that way. And there's there's a blueprint for you. You know, there's a blueprint for you. And this re- responsorial, I think, is 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 a great, you know, short blueprint to understand, you know, the journey of any Christian, anyone taking up that cross. That cross is heavy. That cross is mean. You know, it drags. It it purses down on your shoulders. It you know it's it's hard but you keep moving you keep going and you'll be walking in the footsteps with Christ and in the same way you've walked in the footsteps of Christ you're going to end up where he's going to end up if you keep going mhm amen amen bro and and yeah we're talking about him on the cross you know we're using that that example but even when he was with Pontius Pilate in the human form in that sense bro like who do y'all want Barabbas or Jesus? And everybody was like Barabbas. So even in that moment, he was abandoned, you know, and even just that, that rejection of, you know, feeling alone. So, I mean, they're just this, man, this dark night business, so many layers on in this that we can all tap into. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure how that's going to be edited in the podcast, but we're going to figure that out. So, um, all right, y'all. So as we're we're diving forward, as we're moving forward into the second reading, uh, Philippians 
chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11. So Paul's letter to the Philippians includes what is written here as a Christological hymn. There's several that appear throughout Paul's writings. There's one in Colossians, there's one in Ephesians. These hymns were prototypical creeds, uh, ways of concisely expressing our beliefs as Christians, as followers of this new way. He wrote this particular hymn as a central point around which the church in Philippi could rally and unite around. But it also had uh, practical implications uh, for how they were to live as a Christian community. And so one of, the, one of the things that the early Christians quickly came to understand about Christ was that, that Jesus was, was God, that he is the Son of God, and he had come uh, among them. But given the way that Paul and the gospel writers wrote, it seemed that what the early Christians really had trouble with was understanding and articulating how Jesus was also fully human. You know, one of the things that we should keep in mind is that, you know, the church didn't really articulate the full humanity and full divinity of Christ until around 300 years later. But the reason why this was important was that it was for us to understand that Jesus really suffered and really died as a real human being. And this was one of Paul's ways of trying to express that belief that the that the Son of God had really become a real human being. And there's a word here that in the Greek, kenosis, which means the emptying that has been a, a source of reflection for theologians that we still ruminate on today. It was a way of trying to describe the incarnation, that the Son becoming flesh, becoming human, uh, and offering himself as a sacrifice, he emptied himself, he poured himself out. This image of, of being emptied out was a way of trying to show the great humility, but also the humiliating kind of aspect of becoming human, that for a God to become human was a scandalous thought at the time. Uh, not only did he not cling to or grasp at his divinity by staying in heaven in some way, so there, there's another word here that um, is important, that Jesus did not grasp at his divinity, or he didn't cling to his divinity. He, in a sense, let it go. And becoming human, that's what allowed himself to, to be vulnerable to suffering. As God in his divinity, he doesn't suffer. He willingly took on a human nature and became able to suffer at that point. You know, if that makes sense. And again, this is getting into mystery. I talked about how there's central Christian mysteries that we should meditate on. And the incarnation is one of them, that uh, he became one of us so that he can undergo the Paschal mystery. So it was because of this that he became human. He leaves his divinity behind in a, in a sense and becomes the most humbled uh, of all humanity. Uh, and humble literally means to be near the ground. Jesus went all the way into the ground through to his death to be uh, laid in a tomb, literally in the ground. What we know from scripture is that God exalts the humble because He uh, Jesus is the humblest of all. He becomes the most exalted over all. I just wanted to point out something interesting about this word grasping, that uh, Jesus didn't count his divinity to be grasped at. 
but he emptied himself. Uh, Paul would have been writing to sort of a mixed group of people. There would have been Romans and uh, Greeks, but also a pocket of Jews were also living in Philippi. He includes this word grasped at as an indirect reference to Adam and Eve. The sin of Adam and Eve was that they grasped at the fruit of tree of knowledge of good and evil. And remember the tantalizing lie that the serpent told Eve was that they would be like God by eating this fruit. And so we, we read in scripture that, you know, Adam and Eve grasped or Eve grasped at the fruit and pulled it and, and took it what was not hers to take. And so what we see here is a kind of reversal of original sin, whereas Adam and Eve grasped at the fruit of knowledge of good and evil to become like God. Jesus let go of his divinity to become one of us. And so there's a um, just an interesting little play of words going on here. Again, it's highlighting the Paschal mystery as this kind of primitive and prototypical creed. So in terms of the word grasping, it's almost like he's correcting the mistake that our first parents made. Exactly. And yeah. he's like, he's undoing that, that deed by, you know, not even using his power, his true ability, just like letting it go. Like, nope, not, not trying to, you know, not trying to use my God powers right now. So as an, as an opposite or an antithesis, antithesis, is that, is that the word? Antithesis, antithesis yeah. <laughs> to, to Adam, right? Mm-hmm. So Adam and Eve. Wow. So it's kind of like the so in essence, him not using his godly power was kind of the antidote to original sin. Man, see they had this all planned out. <laughs> it's it makes you know it just it all fits together so well, you know like like God knew what He was going to do. Fantastic, you know. Mm-hmm. It really is a masterpiece. <laughs> And as I'm reading it, I'm looking at two things that really stick out to me based off of, you know, what you just shared, bro, Jay and bro, CeeLo is that, you know, last week, Brother Carla was like, you know, Jesus will never ask us to do something he wouldn't do. And here he is, Holy Week, in the most human form, suffering at its worst. I mean, imagine, y'all, he has, has been preaching and teaching and listening and accompanying so many people and now he's really being put to this test and it says here but he humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death and here we are many christians complaining over what material things because you know our status isn't where it's at and you know and, and all these and, and not to say that those things don't have any value but just thinking about how in Jesus' human form god's human form like he is being the example right here and i love what you said bro jay like to be humbled is to be close to the ground and like you said he went into the ground and it says god greatly exalted him Right, it says, because of this, God greatly exalted him. So he exalted, he raised up someone from the ground. And I think that's where 
it for me it runs deep. You can't be lifted up if you're already up. If you're already up high. So the fact that he humbled himself and brought him close to the floor, God picked him up and exalted him and brought him back up. And I think about how many times many folks, many people want to continue to be lifted up, but you're putting yourself up. You're not exalting. It's hard for you to be exalted if you're already exalting yourself. So I don't know, just, just, just a lot there. Again, I'm still on the dark night right now. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yo. I'm thinking about the dark night right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, this is uh, we're just here into the second reading and, and a lot of context here. And I'd like to offer one more perspective on this reading, um, you know, and, and just to kind of step out of the, the Christian realm for a second. I think, you know, all throughout history, when you look at different, you know, mythologies, different religions, you seem to find this common theme that kind of almost represents an innate understanding of, of the universe. And, you know, that, that comes back to, to the sacrifice of things like in almost every you know, non-Christian religion, there's some form of, of sacrifice, you know, never been exposed to, to Christianity and you're still seeing, you know, like the Mayans, the Aztecs, um, you know, there's, there's always been stories of sacrificing, you know, some kind of animal, sometimes other human beings. But I think what it's, what it's pointing to is that there's kind of this innate understanding in the universe that, to make up for, you know, some kind of, of sin to make up for some kind of, uh, transgression, you know, to, to God or to the gods, there's always been this understanding of, of sacrificing something to make up for that. And I think what's interesting about this reading in particular in, in Christianity is how, you know, if you kind of break it down and you really ask the question, well, you know, what, what is the sacrifice need to be? You know, what does it need to be? Like, how deep does the sacrifice need to be? You know, and in some stories you'll hear, you know, it has to be a, you know, a, a baby. It has to be a, an animal, you know, in some other non-Christian religions. Um, and whenever I've thought of that, you know, I look at Christ and I'm like, okay, you know, would it have been a real sacrifice if, he was able to use his God power and not feel any pain. I don't know. Maybe not because then he's cheating. Would it have been a real sacrifice? Would it have been a sacrifice that was enough to pay for every single human sin if he didn't feel any fear? What if he knew that this was all going to be good in the end? Would it have been a real sacrifice you know, if he kind of, in essence, used his God powers to cheat. Um, and I think what this reading is showing us is ultimately, no, it wouldn't have been, um, you know, it wouldn't have been right. You know, maybe in the universe and some law or whatever, you know, just the the balance of things. And so, and, and again, this is nothing theological. This is kind of just me exploring the depth of, you know, why he did what he did in the way he did it, but to totally disregard all of your ability and your power, you know, I mean, he had every right to say, I don't need to feel any pain when I'm getting crucified. 
I don't need to feel any abandonment in my final moments. I don't need to feel any of that. I could just, you know, take human form, sacrifice my body. I'll turn off all my nerve cells and I don't have to feel anything. He could have easily decided to do that. But yet to truly become human and to truly welcome us into our family or into his family, you know, to to be truly human, he put all of that God power, turned it off and said, nope, I have to experience everything that any other human being is going to experience because that's the only way I'm truly going to be human and I'm truly going to be able to make their family part of my family and allow them into heaven. I think, you know, to me, that just blows my mind. You know, mm-hmm. um, again, there's no God out there in any other kind of mythology that would have taken on this much burden, this much pain, free will, you know, and just did it because, you know, he wanted to. And there's only one word that truly describes why any human being would behave in this way and that word is love you know there's Mm -hmm. no other way to describe why you would put yourself through so much suffering you know there's no like childbirth is one of the most difficult things that you know any mother can go through any human body can endure and yet you know a mother will go through it and go through it multiple times and it's painful you know, I'm, I, I can, I can't even imagine. But, you know, it's done out of love, and the only thing that I could make sense of for any being to allow themselves to suffer in that way, despite the fact that they have a way out, they have a way to cheat, they have a way to, you know, overcome it without feeling any, any of the suffering behind it. There's only one explanation, you know, and and that's love, and I think that's. You know, this reading just like, dude, this is a, a big, big sign of AKA, he loved you this much. Like he literally turned his powers off so he can feel every single pain, every ounce of pain that you would feel. And he wanted to feel it because that was the only way, you know, to fulfill his mission. To me, that's crazy. You know, I don't like, I I think I'd, if, if my son, you know, was in trouble I don't know if I'd sacrifice myself. I think I'd just like bust them out and, you know, <laughs> you know, drive off with them and be like, all right, we're out. But, you know, to, to be willing to experience that pain, man, it's just, you know, and again, it's just no other mythological God, you know, has ever been described as doing that. And so that's why it's like, if you ask, if you tell me that, oh, God's just another, you know, deity in another religion, uh-uh, ain't no other, ain't no other, you know, mythical God ever behaved like Jesus did, you know, and put himself through that stuff. Yes, y'all. So once again, there is a lot there to unpack. So please be sure to use the timestamps because it's definitely going to help you unpack all this in the way that God wants you to do it. Now, if you have the time and the energy to go through every single reading and breakdown in one day or in one sitting or one listening, or maybe you're on a you know, long car ride, great. But if not, please take your time with this. Don't put our podcast as part of a checklist just to say you, 
you got your Bible study in because we really want you to take this in and meditate on it, contemplate, and more importantly, apply it to your everyday life. And again, as we want to shape and sharpen your faith. So as we move on to the gospel, it is two chapters from the book of Mark, chapter 14 and 15. So, yeah, as you, as you heard, we're reading two chapters for the gospel reading. Um, and so it, it's a, a lot to read. But instead of going through the gospel uh, and explaining each each bit of it, uh, I, I think it would be a little bit more efficient to talk about how the church remembers and, and celebrates and commemorates these, these moments that are mentioned here in, in these two chapters. Uh, and it's, you know, throughout the liturgical year, uh, the church calendar, we walk through the life of Christ and we do it quite intensely during this Holy Week. All the things that are gonna, are mentioned here in uh, today's reading, we're going to celebrate or commemorate throughout the week. Let's go ahead and jump in. So the gospel begins by talking about how this is the time of the Passover. And we've mentioned in a previous podcast that you know, during Passover in Jerusalem, there would have been a million Jews easy. Uh, so there's a lot of people coming to celebrate this very important feast uh, of the Passover. So we begin with mention of this uh, and getting ready to for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then we have the story of the anointing at Bethany. A, a woman comes with very expensive perfumed oils and anoints Jesus's body. There's actually a little bit of offense by none other than Judas. Oh, he'll be important for what we talk about later, but he says, you know, that this could have been used to be sold and we could have used the money to feed the poor. There's so much, it was so expensive and she basically just wasted it. But Jesus uh, rebukes Judas and tells him, the poor will always be with you, but I'm only with you for a little while. And what she has done was a good thing and she will be remembered for this. So the way that the church commemorates this moment is usually before Palm Sunday is that we have what's called a chrism mass. The chrism mass is when the bishop will consecrate and bless oils that are used for um, the anointing of the sick. RCIA, there's an anointing that takes place um, prior to baptism. There's the uh, the most important oil, which is called the chrism, which is used in baptisms, ordinations, uh, you know, for, for people becoming deacons, priests, or bishops, and confirmations, and the consecration of a church. When a, when a, ch when a building becomes a church, this oil is used to consecrate it. These are usually not on people's radars, uh, but it's a very beautiful mass. If you can, um, I know that some dioceses have already celebrated their chrism mass. All the oils that end up in the different parishes in a diocese, start out uh, being blessed at the one spot of uh, the cathedral, wherever your bishop is. And it's from there that your priests will uh, or deacons will take that oil and bring it to their home parishes, which we'll see playing a liturgical role on Holy Thursday. So that's the anointing of Bethany, and we celebrate that with the Chrism Mass. Um, and that takes us to Spy Wednesday, Right after this anointing of Bethany, Judas decides, you know, he, he didn't Tama, really Tama like. Jay, Tama Jay. Oh, sure, sure. Listeners, did y'all hear that out there? Wednesday, Spy Wednesday, y'all. I just wanted to just make sure y'all 
heard that correctly. Was that correct, Jay? Spy Wednesday? Spy Wednesday, yeah. Spy Wednesday, <laughs> y'all. Right. Um, and it's called Spy Wednesday because of what Judas does. You know, so, so he's kind of offended and and there's been a lot of speculation as to what exactly went through Judas's mind. Judas was the purse holder. He was the money. He handled the money for the group. He was the, the treasurer in a sense. And um, it was speculated that maybe he was kind of keeping some for himself and, you know, getting rich off of all the money that was um, being given to Jesus and, and his band. Maybe he saw this anointing as an opportunity wasted because, you know, that was money that could have passed through his hands first. You know, he could have taken, taken us some for himself and made a good a little bit of profit and still given, you know, uh, food to the poor and all that kind of stuff. But Judas um, comes to the conclusion that he needs to hand o- uh, Jesus over. And so he goes in secret to the Pharisees to hand Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. And um, because of this act of betrayal and espionage, it's been called, you know, it's kind of not officially, but, you know, it's traditionally little T traditionally called spy Wednesday. Now, while we don't have a uh, liturgical service specifically for this Wednesday is a traditional day of fasting. One of the things that my grandma would do is she would fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Fridays is an obvious thing. And this is throughout the year, except for, you know, solemnities and things like that. But traditional Catholics would fast on Wednesdays and Fridays throughout the year, not just on during Lent. And it was because of what happened on Spy Wednesday. It was a way of commemorating, just kind of like how we remember the resurrection every Sunday. It's a weekly remembrance. And so this tradition has kind of fallen by the wayside. Um, but there are still a lot of traditional Catholics that will uh, observe Wednesday fasting. Uh, it's because of the Spy Wednesday. So moving on, the stage is set. Judas is is getting ready to betray Jesus, and then they um, move forward through the week. And now it is Thursday. In the evening, they celebrate having their last supper together. But Jesus does it a little bit different, knowing that what's what's coming. Here we see Jesus having this last supper, and here we see the Passover being celebrated. But Notice that there's not a lamb. It's only bread and wine. Jesus takes it and he does something different. He says, this is my body and this is my blood. And we see this today in the church as the institution of the Eucharist, the the um, fifth luminous mystery of the rosary. This is the, the, the first time and this is the most desired meal. He's literally giving us his person so, so that it can be grown in us so that we can become him, you know, and, and this kind of goes back to that growing in uh, union with with God and the dark night, the whole dark night thing. So what we'll see in, uh, and this is the beginning of Triduum. Uh, so Triduum literally means like a triple day. It's one continuous liturgy spread out over three days. And, and there's kind of like a Trinitarian motif going on, three days being one celebration. Some things to look out for on Holy Thursday. There will be a presentation of the oils. Uh, the three oils will be brought, will be processed in by the clergy. Keep in mind that the chrism is the most important of the oils. Then there will be the washing of the feet, which we can read about in John's Gospel. Different parishes will have different ways of doing this. Um, in the, the Vatican, it's usually been the practice of the Pope to to wash the feet of priests 
but uh, Pope Francis has, in recent years walked, washed the feet of prisoners. But uh, different parishes will will do different things. Like I I, kn- I know some parishes will wash the feet of the RCIA candidates. Um, they'll do kind of like a mass washing where everyone's feet gets washed, <laughs> or whoever would like to. Yeah, that's d- done by the clergy. One thing that's really different about the end of Holy Thursday Mass, we end and depart in silence. There's not a closing hymn. Everyone just kind of goes in silence, but not before uh, the Blessed Sacrament, the Eucharist, is reposed in an oratory or some uh, chapel, not in the main sanctuary. What this is meant to bring, call to mind and bring to mind is after the Last Supper, the offering of bread and wine uh, as his body and blood, uh, Jesus and his disciples go out to the garden of Gethsemane. And that's when all the things take place. He goes to pray and the disciples fall asleep. He rebukes them a few times. He sweats blood. And then Judas comes with his band of of soldiers to arrest Jesus. Now I'm going to be kind of conflating a, a bunch of the gospel narratives and kind of uniting them. Different gospels will have different details left in and um, and left out. Uh, what's important here is to realize that this is the moment when Jesus is being betrayed and he's being taken into custody in a sense uh, to set forward the events that will happen the following day, which is uh, Good Friday. So we've departed in silence. We are now in vigil, and there's there is a the practice of of praying before the Blessed Sacrament w- well into the hours of the night in a church. You're welcome to stay. Uh, you're not required to stay. So the following day, you know, Jesus has been basically up all night, either praying or being interrogated. So there was no sleep for for Jesus during this time. Jesus is tried first by the Pharisees and then brought before Pilate. But just just a note on what's happening in the background throughout all of this. The Gospels will point out certain hours at various times, things happening. But Jesus was crucified at around noon. And that's an important time because that's uh, when lambs were starting to be slaughtered in the temple was at noon. So on Good Friday... Good Friday is the only day in the liturgical calendar, the only day in the church year where a mass is not celebrated. Now, we do have a Good Friday liturgy, like a a service, but it's not considered, properly speaking, it's not considered a mass. It's a, uh, we have a reading of the Passion and a communion rite, but a mass has to have a consecration that takes place, and we don't do that uh, on Good Friday. No one in the church will do a consecration on Good Friday. Just how we departed in silence on Holy Thursday, the Good Friday services will begin kind of in silence, and um, there will be a prostration of the priests prior to the the service starting. And then uh, there's a reading of the the gospel, and it's almost done in the, in the way of a play, the, where the congregation has their part to say, and um, the priest will be in the person uh, place of Christ. And there's a lector that's a narrator and, and so on and so forth. Definitely an interesting time in the church's calendar. On Good Friday, we commemorate the first Good Friday. We remember all the things that happened and how, you know, by Christ's wounds, he heals us and by his death, he saves us. Very profound time um, and service. 
usually on Good Friday, there's the veneration of the cross where a cross is brought in and we're all given a chance to venerate, do a communion, right? And again, the service ends in silence. Many people choose to stay in the, uh, some parishes will do the stations of the cross or, you know, various other things, reflections uh, throughout the day. And this is another day where Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are the two days that we're, it's prescribed to fast. If you are, you know, uh, of age and it's not dangerous to your health, everyone is expected to fast on Good Friday. So Christ is nailed to the cross, dies at the three o'clock hour. We also see that Jesus, having died, um, now, what, what, one important detail that I want to talk about in the um, gospel is that Mark's gospel has this running theme of what's called the messianic secret. Jesus keeps telling people, don't share what you have come to realize that I'm the son of God. It's not time yet. You know, he, he, and, you know, he tell, he'll tell demons he's exercised this. He'll tell people that he's healed this. You know, don't tell anyone just yet. Um, this is the one time in Mark's gospel when somebody pronounces that Jesus is the son of God and no one stops him. And it's the Roman soldier. So there's a kind of a nod here to say that Jesus's death was not just for the Jews. It was for everyone. And that his, his death on the cross would be a revelation not just to the Jews, but to, uh, to Gentiles as well. Romans being um, non-Jews, they were considered Gentiles. So just a, one little note there. Again, the, the service ends in silence and we move forward into Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday is, is meant to be a day of silence because what is happening on, uh, in, on the Saturday after that first Good Friday, Jesus is taking his Sabbath, in a sense, in the tomb. Keep in mind the, the, the days of creation, right? Jesus dies on uh, what w- would be considered the sixth day, uh, sixth day of the calendar, and then Saturday falls on the seventh day, when God rested. And Jesus is resting, in a sense, as this crucified God in the tomb. Very profound day for us is a, a time for reflection uh, that we also uh, have in a sense died with him. And so Holy Saturday is supposed to be a day of silence. We, we don't, um, it's not re- required to fast or anything like that. Um, but it is a, a definitely a day that's pregnant with a lot of hope. We today look back and know what's coming, right? Because Holy Saturday will end with Easter vigil. Now I want to take a moment to encourage anyone, um, uh, our listeners who, Whoever's never been to an Easter Vigil Mass, try at least one. I, I know it's a little hard with uh, COVID stuff and uh, right now. Fairly certain that uh, next year we'll, we'll be back in full swing, uh, or at least hopefully. It's definitely worth uh, seeing at least once because uh, the church herself calls Easter Vigil the mother of all liturgies. There's a sense in which every liturgy that we, every Mass that we celebrate is really just a reflection of the Easter Vigil Mass. It's starting to go beyond the two chapters because uh, this is talking about the resurrection, so I won't spend too much time on this. Uh, just to know what you're in for, Easter Vigil is also the longest Mass of the year. They, on average, run around two and a half to three hours. <laughs> uh, 
up to the discretion of the pastor, they're, they're free to take out certain readings and make it shorter and things like that. And I know that at one parish I was at, I don't really quite know how to feel about it, <laughs> but uh, he, he was able to get down the um, Easter vigil to an hour and a, and a half, an hour and 45. He kind of took pride in having a fast Easter vigil, but I mean, when it's done right, uh, uh, it's, it's okay to take that extra time. There's a lot going on um, Easter Vigil, but it begins in darkness, and there's uh, there's lots of there's the Paschal candle. Uh, there's a bonfire that's taking place right outside the church. There's the Gloria sung for the first time. There's if you do the all the readings, there's seven Old T- Testament readings, a New Testament reading, and a gospel, all with responsorial psalms in between. <laughs> um, there's the R- RCIA. Uh, baptism and confirmations uh, and first eucharists the church is decorated in white usually the most beautiful it will be uh, throughout the year and that's in commemoration of the resurrection yeah lots to talk about but um that's just really just the uh spark notes version of it bruh <laughs> i've i've been to an easter visual mass um i wasn't prepared that it was going to be that long <laughs> <laughs> like they're still going what's going on but yeah it, it's pretty long it's yeah i wanted to get long. fair warning because i know that <laughs> that can be like uh if you're not expecting it it can be um yeah if, if you burning, think you're but... getting over by skipping the crowds on easter sunday and you want to go to mass on saturday nah dude you <laughs> you can <laughs> you just walked into be... the mother of all liturgies yeah. <laughs> yes yes and it's in the dark it's in the dark. That's the other thing, right? Yeah, it starts like off. They in do the it dark. in the dark, so. Oh man. Yeah, I remember uh, Will. Well, I was his confirmation sponsor at St. Basil's, and then he was the confirmation sponsor for Danielle. And it was, you know, back to back years. <clears throat> and after those two experiences, because. I knew someone you know like i was a sponsor and then danielle was the next year after that year we danielle and i we made it a point to try to go to as, as many easter vigils as possible um we actually preferred the longer vigil or service mass over um easter sunday right not to take away from it i'm not even i'm not exactly sure jay does that easter vigil count as easter mass i mean i'm not yep. sure Okay. Easter starts for us when as um as soon as the Paschal uh candle hits the holder. Okay. Um, that's when the, that's the liturgical moment of resurrection and we get to Okay, so um, let me let me backtrack then. So Christmas Eve Mass and then Christmas Day Mass. Are you are we required to go to both, either or none? Uh Oh yeah, yeah. You have to go to at least one of the Christmas uh, masses, it, but it doesn't have to be the midnight mass or <laughs> or Christmas you know, Day or Christmas. Yeah. Okay, because you know we would do like yeah. the, the five o'clock children's mass on Saturday, or not Saturday, uh-huh. the day before on Christmas Eve. Would that count for Christmas, or do we have to go? Or technically, should we go back Christmas Day? You know, that's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, uh, Cause we, cause we were always curious about that because we would go to the children's mass and help out and, you know, do the, the Christmas pageant and, 
and all that. And so we would we wouldn't go to midnight because we were already there. And then mm-hmm. sometimes we would go Christmas Day, but not most of the time. So I always thought about like Easter. Is that the same thing? <laughs> if you did the the Saturday vigil, but now in this case, yeah, Easter vigil. Um, if you go to Easter vigil mass, you you've kind of fulfilled your Easter. Your, Easter obligation. Okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I I personally like the Easter vigil because yeah. just the fact that you're starting in the dark and you're ending in the light and you have the RCIA and just so many different celebrations from baptisms, first communions, confirmations, mm-hmm. all the sacraments in one, like, come on, yeah. man, this is, I mean, from a spiritual perspective, like it's deep and it's happening all over the world. So if you've never mm-hmm. been to Easter Vigil and you're listening right now, definitely go. And it counts for Easter Sunday. But I know a lot of people like the Easter Sunday because you get to go Easter egg hunting after in most churches. But anyways, that's <laughs> digress. So, yeah, bro, I think that this is really the opportunity, right? Holy to be set up is, you know, what we would say to be set apart and in Holy Week this week is meant to be set apart from all the rest of the weeks of Mm -hmm. the year spiritually. Um, I use the analogy, imagine if you're in a band or you play a sport and there is that one tournament, that one competition. I remember right in Vallejo or Fairfield band, the big competition was in Fairfield. I remember that color guard. Um, I never, did y'all ever do band? No, <laughs> elementary. Well, I just remember in high school, like at Fairfield High, the big band competition was right in front of Our Lady of Mount Carmel every mm-hmm. year. Like that was like the biggest competition, so everyone was looking forward to that. And so, you know, I was using the analogy. Just imagine that that one competition, that one weekend, that one week of the year for whatever your hobby or activity is, and just imagining that to be your faith. And that's Holy Week. And that's something that, you know, I feel like I was sharing with some students a while back where if Holy Week feels like every other week of the year, and, you know, speaking of confirmation students and and youth ministry, then I was like, we just missed it. Everything just went over our head and we just missed a great opportunity. Like if we're just treating... You know, Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, just like every other week, meaning we're not intensifying our prayers, we're not getting to the masses, that we're not, you know, really diving in and really, you know, getting into the prayer, fasting, almsgiving on a whole nother level, then we just, like, we just missed the mark. So that's kind of like how I've been feeling about a lot of uh, Holy Week lately, so... I mean, this is this yeah. This is the the big game, you know. This forty days of Lent, and forty days is a, a number of preparation, um, as well as purification. And what what are we preparing for? It is this time, specifically Easter Vigil and Easter, you know, Easter. <laughs> That's what the whole season of Lent is about: is preparing for this moment, you know. And so, um, you know, as as you you've constantly said throughout Lent. You know, 
do your your physical fast for that spiritual feast and this is the spiritual feast that we're um that we're getting ready to partake yeah yeah and and i think really if you sit in the church and i think this is something that really you know impacted me and granted i was with some family who had <laughs> some poor eyesight i'm not even going <laughs> to say who but i just remember you know because they couldn't see that well like they were upset because it was dark <laughs> in the beginning they were like to the point where they were getting ready to leave like because they've never <laughs> been and they were just like we can't read and we can't even see the books like they were kind of complaining <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you know and, and i get it but like like you said, like this is the pinnacle. This is the 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 peak of this season, and I think there's something about the senses that we feel like it's tangible. We can sense it. Like we're there when it's dark. We could barely read the you know in the missiles, and that's the point. Like we could barely see God, and then by the end of the vigil, it's clear. Not a day. So the so like going just on Easter, and again, I'm not knocking people just go on Easter because you know, it's great to be there. But it's like you just go when everything's already, um, what is the word? Like when everything's already set up, right? When everything's already kind of kind of done. I don't know. I don't. It's just a different feeling, y'all. So mm -hmm. it, I'm, it's, I'm, it almost feels like you missed the headline. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's. Oh, here it is. Here's the here's the analogy. It's like going to New York, and granted, not that you know I desire to do it, but back in the days, going to the 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 countdown, the ball drop, and it's like showing up right after the ball drops. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like you're driving to, you know, driving in there trying to find parking, and then you just show up, and you know, it already happened. <laughs> so I feel like there's there's something about being in the church in the community with everyone as you know we go from dark to light so i don't know just my thoughts bro mm -hmm. see love what's going on over there my man i was just you know one thing i wanted to point out about uh the gospel reading um is just you know the the power of meditating on the sorrowful mysteries that it basically encompasses, you know? Um, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, talking to, to Zary about, you know, praying the rosary and truly meditating and kind of extracting from the experiences of, of Jesus, Mary and the apostles, you know, specifically in this gospel reading, um, you know, with the sorrowful mysteries. I mean, there's just so much to unpack. And if you can really truly put yourself in the shoes of Jesus and to really extract from it the fruits of, of the virtues that he was, you know, demonstrating, um, you'd get a lot out of it, you know. So um, just, just from that standpoint, you know, just the understanding of how, uh, suffering, you know, gives growth. And, um, yeah, just something to throw out to the listeners when you get a chance. Because this, this gospel reading is long. <laughs> this is a long one. You know, there's a lot to unpack. But if you want to 
to try to break it down and truly understand it, you know, reflecting on the sorrowful mysteries, you know, whether it's in a rosary or if you just want to, you know, look at the sorrowful mysteries and reflect on each one. Um, I think then you'll truly get a sense of, of, uh, you know, what, what we can pull out of the experiences of, of Jesus in this very situation, you know, um, I just, you know, whenever I, I hear this gospel, I always just imagine, you know, that, that, that latest movie of, uh, the passion of the Christ, you know, just watching that and remembering the scenes from that. I'm just like, wow, you know, like, I didn't know it was like that, you know, cause you know, most crucifixes show like one lash, you know, one pole in the hand and it's kind of, it's, it's kind of tame, you know, relatively speaking. And then when you truly get into the depth of what happened to Jesus during this week and you're like, man, I didn't realize it was that bad, you know? Um, and it just gives you a, a better appreciation of, uh, you know, his sacrifice, um, you know, for, for each and every one of us. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And and I'm just going to say like y'all or y'all listening that there is really a lot to to unpack in this podcast, even in its almost two hours of just sharing. It still isn't even enough, which is another example of the abundance that God has and how he provides for us. So just know that as we are just, again, this podcast has come is, you know, being released on Palm Sunday, that we will be doing our Easter, our Easter episode. So that is going to be coming and we'll more likely be adding on to these readings and, and even what's to come in uh, this week. So so with that, right, there's just a lot. And I'm going to just shoot it over to Jay and to Bro Silo. And here's kind of my question for y'all. With everything that we've kind of unpacked and started to unpack or, you know, that we talked about tonight, that we talked about today, for our listeners there, where would be a good place to start or what? kind of maybe tips or thoughts or ideas you know would be helpful for our listeners to experience holy week in maybe a different way than they're used to um and i just share this because there's so much here and so i know they're you know if i'm listening to this i'm like okay so what does that mean what do i do and so instead of like a a final thought of today's readings what would be kind of like a tip or, you know, something helpful for our listeners to apply or try or even do this week to to really um, dive deeper? What comes to mind for me is, uh, you know, in, in recent years, the Pope's and particularly Pope Benedict the Sixteenth um, have emph- has emphasized, you know, developing that personal relationship with God, you know, that um, having that sense that uh, God loves us 
as if we were the only one, you know, that it's just me and me and God, you know, and, um, and to have that sort of dialogue happening throughout Holy Week, you know, um, and, and really just, um, taking the time to listen to God, uh, uh, and, uh, in, and his part of the conversation, um, because, you know, sometimes we can get into the, um, into the habit of just seeing prayer as us, you know, verbally s- spilling out all of our, all the words that we're, you know, <laughs> kind of trained to, to say without taking the time to really listen. And I, I think one of the things that, um, is really important is, um, is taking that Sabbath, that rest, you know, and looking forward to um, not just Easter Sunday, but I mean, especially Easter Sunday, but um, every Sunday as a, as an opportunity to not have to do the work, but to let God do the work in you, you know, and, and to rest in God's word, you know, and, and during Holy week that, that that's sort of pronounced because, there's a there's a sense in which Jesus is doing a lot of work for us this week, you know, and so uh, it's it's I think it really helped me to to understand that you know my faith is not just me do, doing stuff in service to God, but Christ came uh, not to be served but to serve, you know, and that's important. And taking those words uh, at, at the washing of the feet seriously, that unless I wash you, you will not be clean. And so there's a sense in which you have to let Jesus do the work, you know, and you have to let, and, you know, Peter reacts like how many of us re- would react to if, if we truly knew who Jesus was. Um, uh, Peter says, you know, you won't wash my feet. That's beneath you. You're you're God. You're you're and you're the King of Israel. You're, you're going to wash my feet, you know. But um, but then Jesus says, "No, I'm I'm doing this because you need to be cleaned, and there's no one else that can clean you." And so having that sort of the sense that um, that's having that real personal relationship that that uh, and knowing that God is all powerful and wants to put His power. Uh, to work in love for each of us, I think that's um, would be my my suggestion. Um, this suggestion is for the listeners who are new, and it's 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 kind of simple. It's kind of introduction because I remember when I was a kid, I you know especially on a Good Friday, I'd always see you know grandmas crying you know, on their way to venerating the cross. And for a long time, I didn't understand, like, why is that old lady crying? You know, as a kid, it's like, why is this, why, 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 why is it that serious? And so what I'd say to, to someone who, you know, is new to the game, um, new to the faith, and maybe not quite fully understanding 
Um, and again, th- we're all at different levels of, of our, of our spiritual journey. You know, like if you go deeper, like, yeah, you got to go deep, but if you're new and you're just trying to figure out what's going on and this is calling out to you, um, what I'd said, say, and I know it's, this is kind of cheating, but what I'd say is, you know, find a day where you have like two or three hours, you know, get on Amazon, go get the DVD, um, pop the passion of the Christ on your TV, you know, put yourself in prayer mode, do the sign of the cross and just watch. And, you know, use that as a journey and try to go along that journey with Christ, you know, to, to truly understand, you know, the, the amount of, the, the amount of everything that went into it, you know, to truly understand why Holy Week is such an important week. And just to allow yourself to feel the emotions, to feel emotions of being Mary. You know, there's one scene where, you know, Jesus is carrying the cross. He's falling and, you know, the the cinematography behind it is Mary remembers when he was a little boy. And he fell the first time and she went and tried to pick him up because she was afraid that he was hurt. And just kind of understanding, you know, the emotions of a mother seeing her son being destroyed in that way you know or you know just like if you don't understand and you know maybe the theology is too deep just just go feel it you know go feel it put yourself in in those shoes and just feel it and feel those emotions and you know and after that put yourself in prayer then you know kind of go from there and see where the holy spirit leads you you know and again this is just for anyone who's new at this and doesn't truly understand. Um, cause I think one thing about, you know, especially if you're kind of a, you know, a cradle Catholic, you may or may not have been given, you know, the, the depth of, of the, the severity of this week, you know, which leads to something that's so amazing, but there had to be a lot to go through. And, um, you know, I think you'll understand more, once you put yourself through that journey, um, yeah, try it, try that. That'd be, you know, my, my advice to, you know, kind of get a feel for it. And then after that, you know, if, if you're called to keep searching out, then dig deep, you know, and, and listen to what the church has to say about it. Thank you, brothers. And, and I'm going to go off of what brother Jay was saying, cause I had a whole different idea until brother Jay <laughs> shared his. So it's, um, little piggyback off of uh brother jay's approach or suggestion or ideas you know thinking about what you did during the season of lent your prayer your fasting your almsgiving just take time this week and sit with that in silence and really reflect on your journey so it's not about doing and giving like you know like brother jay was talking about but really like looking at how your physical fast and how what you added on to your your life throughout this this season how has that made you or shaped you or transformed you 
into the person you are in this moment. Did it, you know, help or not? Is your relationship with God, do you feel it? Do you feel that it's, you know, that you're in a deeper relationship with Christ now or not? And I think really just taking this week and reading through, reading along with or praying along with the daily readings and just kind of really looking at what's unfolding here and not having to necessarily like react or do anything, but just to really sit with it and listen. And then using like Brother Carlo was even saying, like, you know, putting yourself like watching the movie, The Passion of Christ and and really taking that in along with just listening, along with reflecting on your season. And I feel like if you did that this week, coming out of this week or going into the Easter, you know, going into the tritium and going into the Easter season, I feel like we can have so much more clarity. So don't treat the Holy Week as, oh, I got to make up for all the times that I failed this, you know, this this Lenten season. So I'm going to do it all in one week. Or now I'm going to go hard in the paint with all my PFAs, with all my prayer, my fasting, all giving. Like, I think it's actually the opposite. I think if this week was meant to be a holy week, a week set apart from all the rest, then I think this is where we, again, prepare our hearts and our minds for this tritium. And I think part of that is really taking the time to reflect on where we're really at. And we're not comparing ourselves to other people in the faith. We're not comparing ourselves to our family or our friends or those who have been really, you know, maybe more faithful than we have. Like, no, this is just between you and God. And I think that's really, for me, as I was just listening to both of you brothers share, I was like, you know what? Just sit with it. Listen and just hear what God has for you this week as uh, as we get ready to prepare our hearts and our minds for this uh, this Paschal mystery. So, all right, y'all. So we are definitely going in week by week if you've made it this far in the podcast we appreciate you being with us we are again just deeper into the seasons we want to make sure we give you as much as we can but please be sure again to just take your time with everything that you're listening to share the podcast rate the podcast and again if there are any topics or questions that you have about some of the content that we've shared or maybe there's some other topics you would like us to speak on please let us know in the comments reach out to us follow us on instagram at blaze ministry 707 hashtag project whetstone once again thank you for being with us y'all have a blessed holy week and please remember to pray for us because we will always be praying for you amen have a good week y'all peace